welcome to episode 261 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Today it is Saturday, um, Saturday, June 21 in Pasadena, and it is a stunningly beautiful day outside. You've been outside? Yes, I have. <laughs> At least to let you in the door. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to move it to a little later. You, you don't like those early morning shows. Uh, I'm you're, just, you're, a, uh, you're a grumpkin in the morning, I'm, huh? Yeah, that's definitely true. And you could, you could probably hear that from the beginning of last show. And then as the show moves on, you know, like we're, we finally when, woke up. when we're in an hour into it, it's much better. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. I, I would really like to get straight into your angel investment. Um, what's happened with it? Did you did you actually do an investment? What's the deal? Uh, yeah. Um, so, okay, so I guess I should do a little backtrack just for anyone who may have missed the last show or whatever. So, <clears throat> a buddy of mine, uh, Doug Tarr, who I went to uh, college with, he was a couple years younger than me, but we uh, we met taking a computer science course um, together. And... Let's see. So, I'm trying to remember exactly. We kind of got we got reconnected over um, Google Plus. Like I, I had written a blog post or mm. something, and I think he, I don't know, he jumped on and saw me. So we we t- we got back in touch, and I think I was blogging a little bit about. I wrote one or two entries about Catalyst. Yeah. And oh, in Google Plus, you did. Yeah. 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 And, and either he was thinking along the same lines, or that sparked an idea in his head. Maybe I'll, you know, that. Maybe he'll do that with his son. He has, his son. His son Eli is Colby's age, um, mm. which is now you know roughly ten. Um, I think yeah, Eli's about ten now, and or at least going to fifth grade. So, uh, you know, I think we communicated a little. We had a conversation, communicated back and forth on Google Plus, and then back in October, um, the the kids, Sandy and the kids, came up, and we had a little bit to San Francisco. Uh, when I was up there working, and then we, um, we one evening we had dinner with Doug and his family. Yeah, and he said, "Yeah." So I'm like, I, "I'm doing the the kid coding thing. I got like about a dozen kids now uh, in my kitchen table every week." And he's like, "It's kind of insane, but uh, you know, we're doing it." And he's like, "We're not doing the crazy JavaScript stuff that you're doing. We're doing more just scratch, keeping it simple." Yeah. Um. He's like, but you know, it's working. And I, I and I said, well, I am asking him, like, well, how much are you charging? You know, because I was only charging $40 a month for Catalyst. I was charging the least amount that I could with, so that we could just cover the cost of the space and you know, Wi-Fi or whatever. And because um, it wasn't a money-making venture for me, in my mind. It was more an experiment. Mm. It was more just an after-school club. It was enough that we could cover costs and the, if people put a little bit of money in, they think, okay, we're kind of committed. Yeah. Right. So, uh, he said, well, I'm charging, you know, $200 a month. Mm. I was like, what? And I'm like, and people are paying that? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, they don't even blink. Like, they don't even, you know. Because where he lives in Mill Valley is a fairly upscale area. So, $200 a month for some kind of after-school activity, a serious after-school activity is is not a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I guess it depends on the family or whatever, but I mean, it's ballet, gymnastics, whatever. I mean, that kind of stuff can be pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, so I was like, wow. And I remember telling him, I said, look, you should do this. You should, owe, if you're, if you're getting that kind of 
getting people to pay that kind of money and you're constantly getting people coming in and you're just telling people not to spread the word. I said, you know, why don't you open a retail space and actually try and make a little bit of business out of it? Because he had done the CTO thing, a company called Payscale, and that was a, that turned out to be a long slog for him. And he was kind of burnt out on the whole startup thing. He's like, yeah, you know, he kind of a little cynical about it and um, a little beaten down, I think, over the years. And then he had done the consulting stuff. But he's just like, I don't know. You know, it's like a lot of times you work, it's like one dumb project after another. And you're like, you know, <laughs> this is kind of, this is stupid. But mm. so I think this is like something that could be that he could, be, he believed in, you know, that they were, he didn't have to do those other two things. He didn't have to go to a job somewhere. And so he did. He, you know, after our conversation, I don't know if it was the direct result of, my, you know, encouragement or he had, he, I think he was already kind of playing with the idea, but I, I may have pushed him over. I'm like, you should do it. You it's were definitely work. in the mix. Well, yeah, we spent there like an hour. I'm like, you know, can, like this would work, man. You mm-hmm. should do it. So in the December he did it and he spent the past, um, whatever, uh, you know, since six months or whatever, building up, building that up. And he got somewhere up in the almost close to 90 kids. Doing wow. It. Um, That's great. And he had like a little space, 400 square feet. And it wasn't like in some nice retail, like right in a, you know, it was kind of off. You couldn't really see it. And, and you know, the word was spreading and, he, you know, people were, were doing it. And um, I, I wasn't really keeping that close in contact with him about it. Um, but I got after um, the guy from the Idea Lab approached me about, you know, a similar concept. Um, you know, I got him in touch with Doug and, you know, so Doug and I had conversations around that and that never, that conversation between, um, Mike, uh, Michael from Idea Lab and Doug didn't go anywhere. Michael just called him and asked a bunch of questions and that was sort of it. Um, but, uh, you know, and the thing is when Michael po- approached me about doing th- this, I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to do it because this was my idea. I mean, I had this idea two and a half years ago and I knew it would work and I mean, it would be a lot of work. But as I, I saw that there was potential there. You didn't mind thinking about it, but you didn't quite like the idea of doing the work. Well, well, first of all, I have, I'm working for Uber full time. Yeah. Right. It's not and, like I just we, go we out. Have done, we have done Catalyst and we have kind of yeah. te- tested out, tested out the theory. Yeah. I mean, so for me, it was like, you know, it was something that I'd want to do, but I'd have to wait till after my you know, I was vested in Uber and maybe I was able to cash out to some degree and I didn't have to worry about income. I yeah. can take that kind of risk because this isn't, you know, developing a little mobile app or doing a little SaaS product on the side. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, this is going to take over your life. Yeah. This is lots of employees, retail space. It's very expensive, buying lots of equipment, building I mean, it is a big, big effort. And I knew that. It wasn't just like you and I showing up on Tuesday nights and renting a little room out of a you know, the Unitarian church on the corner, right? I mean, this is this is a big deal. So um and I so I knew I couldn't pursue it, right? Maybe something I could do on down the we line. We had the discussions about it long before Michael or Doug had, had brought this. Yeah, up, yeah. I mean should we go back to the show? We we had even spoken about, you know, at what it would look like if it was across America using different centers, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So when Michael approached me the idea, you know, I was like, yeah, well, this is something I'd wanted to do. And, you know, so I, I didn't like the deal structure with Idea Lab. And, um, you know, there were, and, and because, I, and, and, and even on top of that, I really wouldn't be able to commit to doing something like that yeah. with my current um, obligations at Uber. Yeah. Right. And I certainly wasn't going to walk away with Uber when I still have another year to vest. 
Right. And it's not like Uber are, are any slackers. I mean, they're going way up there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So right, I mean, it would be a, you'd be an idiot to to to, 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 to screw that up. So um, how so I screwed I, up my Uber? Yeah, <laughs> right. So I I decided, you know, I you know politely turned Michael down, um, you know, and uh, and that was sort of it. Yeah. But so um, so Doug uh, uh Doug uh contact me you know and I, I won't go through this whole thing again because, yeah but basically he contacted me about if you'd raise money and i said you're not going to raise money with one location you're going to need at least two or three to show replicability before you're going to have before you're really going to be able to angel serious angel money there's still too much risk on the table um it still looks too small fry mom and pop um, I mean, you might be able to, but you probably would waste a ton of time and you're not going to get a good valuation. Raise as little money as you can, get another location, maybe a third up. And then in the spring, you know, after you've done that, you've shown a little bit of scale and you've shown the ability to open a location outside of your area, your little personal network, then you, you'll, you'll be in a position to do that. Yeah. Right. So initially I, I sent him a text. <laughs> we were, we were, we were kind of negotiating, we kind of negotiated via text and I said, how about I... Invest fifty thousand for ten percent. Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. Yeah, a million dollar valuation, which you know, based on his income and everything, I thought that was pretty a decent, a fairly fair valuation. I mean, there's still a lot of risk on the table. You know, were people going to renew for the summer? You know, the big question about that. Like, could you? I mean, you know, there's a lot of questions. But I knew that. I knew that there were other parents. That would walk in a couple of the few different dads who are like early Googlers, who are venture capitalists, who had expressed interest in the business and investing. Mm-hmm. And so if I made it complicated or I didn't give it a fair enough fair valuation, Doug would probably be like, Well, that's interesting, but you know, let me I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time talking to people, in which case it may not happen or evaluation would maybe get a lot bit out of it. It needs to be a, an amount of money that could actually, he could live off for a certain amount of time kind of thing. No, not not to live off. He has What's enough savings. For? No, for opening What's, other locations. Oh, okay. It's for opening, yeah, it's for opening that second location. It's right. a real thing. All right. So, um, uh, so, I sh- so I shot that text over with him. You know, I talked to Sandy. Basically, I knew I had the money that we made off of Tesla to play with. In my mind, that was kind of house money, right? And, you know, I, when we're at Disneyland and I'm texting back and forth with Doug, I asked Sandy, I'm like, you know, I think this would be a great opportunity. I'd like to do it. And she's like, okay. You know, she, you know, of course, she's always a little bit of like reservations there. I mean, she's not like, you know, great. She's like, what? What are you going to do? How much? You know, what? You know, like, I'm like, look, I think this has a lot of opportunity. I think, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I'd like to do it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And so she's like, all right, you know, fine. But then after Doug and I were talking a little bit, I started thinking, you know, I think you need, he, he sent me a spreadsheet with the numbers showing like the burn rate, if you open a second location, the retail space, you need an on-site court, you need a coordinator, on-site coordinator full-time, you need a curriculum developer. Then of course you have all the high school and college uh, sort of TAs that work with the kids because you have like a three, three or four to one ratio yeah. TA to, to kid, you know, and then you have building insurance and you have to get all the computers and the routers. I mean, it's, it's in table. I mean, it's not cheap. Right. And I looked at it and I was like, whoa, like he showed me, it's like, if we grow at the projected rate, we'll just almost hit zero and then start coming back up. And I was thinking, you know, that's a little, 
that's a little light. And also, you know, if you do have a little extra money, you could allocate it towards putting a little bit of marketing effort. So I threw out the idea of putting in a hundred thousand. Yeah. Now that's really risky because, well, okay. I mean, well, it's more than ten percent of your of your disposable income. That's for sure. Oh hell yeah! Well, where are you getting that number from? 10%? I don't know. I'm just well because I I I always thought the safe the safe approach to investing was like don't screw don't risk more than ten percent of your. Oh, I think I gave that to you. Like how, it was about how rich there was this article I'm gonna read it a while back. It was like how rich people invest or all the wealthy invest. It's like ninety percent can in secure investments look into around a ten percent return per year, and then ten percent you go after the risky. Right, stuff. right. So. Yeah, no, this was, this was obviously way beyond that. And um, so, but I was thinking, you know, we had a lot of money that we had put aside for the kids' education fund. Mm-hmm. But in view of what was going on with our Uber stock options, I was like, that's not really going to be a problem anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, you have to be careful to count your chickens over the hatch. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we're going to be more than capable of buying a house and doing retirement and take care of the kids' education. That stuff is pretty much baked in. That's set. So, you know, we have some cash available, even if they're in accounts that were like set aside for retirement or for, you know, the kids' education fund. And so, and I pitched it to Sandy. We were down at the pool and she's like, she was like 100,000. She's like, I I just don't think we have that. We don't even have that amount of money, you know? And I just, I'm like, all right, what about 75? And so I got her to agree with that. And then I called Doug back, went back and forth. And he, we spent a couple of days talking about it. And I mean, I wasn't trying to push him. And I just said, I just think if I think 75 would give you more than enough to open that second location without, you know, uh, just barely getting by, you know. And, uh, you know, I think that it sort of ensures the first 50. And so we agreed. So 75 for 15%. Fantastic. And it was funny. So a couple things. I knew I had to be decisive and I had to ask fast because if I didn't and I spent too much time dicking around with it, he'd be like, well, he'd be like any rational person. So like, well, this is a pain because like you're, you're telling me I should raise money quickly and just get back to work and not spend all the time negotiating. But if this is going to turn into a legal haggling and illegal haggling and pain in the butt, then I might as well just go talk to a bunch of people and then make it a big haggle and spend the next three months trying to raise money. And so, which case, it probably I probably wouldn't get as good of a deal, or wouldn't be able to buy as much, or whatever. And so, I just said we basically had a couple conversations about it. And so, we, I wrote up a two sentence, two sentence, two as two sentence legal agreement. Okay. And basically, just saying that you know I'm you know Jason Roberts buys you know 1.5 million shares at whatever with five percent five cents per share of common stock and blah 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 you know because i i spent a ton of time looking at all of the yc open source legal documents common share purchase and they're still like 10 pages but does he even have those like a company with shares so yeah he, he has, has a De- he has a delaware corporate c corp okay great yeah so and and when you read through that most of it's boilerplate bs 
and a lot of us preferred stare shock uh, preferred share stuff and a lot of it has a lot to do with like now when I give you this money then you have to give me the certificate and you know a lot of like making sure that the exchange happens and if it doesn't happen and stuff and I'm like I'm not worried about that and I don't need all the like yes I'm a credit investor yes I understand it's risky yes I understand it's not a public company and you move all that crap and it's really and I'm buying common shares I'm not getting preferred I'm not asking for any special you know rights and you know i'm like i'm with you just give me 50 percent common shares and we're done and so so uh, what where, what stage are you at in the kind of money handover and getting the shares done. handover? so was uh, let's see so it's probably like thursday of not a, a week week and a half ago mm-hmm. i so but yeah week and a half ago i um i just mailed him a check for seventy five thousand dollars <laughs> And a but, uh, one but page on. I, and two two copies of both signed, you know, copies of the one page legal agreement that I drafted. But wait a second. So, how, like, how long did it take to get the the Tesla money out? Like, what well, what's the process for that? Uh, getting money. So, well, actually, here's what we did. We actually didn't take it out of the Tesla account. We took it out of the college fund. College fund because when you because what I, I can't remember the name of uh, the 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 IRA. If you take money out of your IRA or you take money out of the, a college fund, which have special tax breaks in them, you pay a penalty. And so, like, you had to pay, like, 10% penalty on the amount of money that you earned while that money was in, the, in that account. Right. We earned a lot more on the Tesla money than we earned on the money that was just in a mutual fund for the for the kids. I see. Yeah. So, Sandy was like, look, you can take it out of that if you want, but it's like, you're just looking at it. You know, the other one's appreciated, fine, but not like, the t- you know, not like 8X. So it's a better deal to take it out of the other one. Yeah. So, But then it, also you're still in Tesla and you can still be for the future growth. That's right. And it, and it went up like uh, 15%. We're from like 200 to 230 during that process of doing it. <laughs> so I'm like, thank God. You know, <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I'd rather own Tesla than than XYZ Fidelity Mutual Fund. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so... It took like three to five days. Sandy's like, she did. I remember she, she was on the couch and she's like, so there's a lot of me talking like, this is going to work. I'm telling you, like, I believe in this, just like with Tesla. But there's another thing when your wife is sitting there with a laptop, looking down, she's like, well, here we go. $75,000. It should be in our Wells Fargo in three to five days. <laughs> and she's like, this better work. <laughs> with not yeah. a hint of a smile on her face, this better work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it is a very risky maneuver. Maneuver. Well, I was talking to talking with Lance about it, and he was saying that um, you know he, prior to his job that he works now for Adobe, he was an investment advisor, and he says he you know he he likes risky investments, he enjoys risky investments, but this one was a little too rich for him. Like mm-hmm. he thought this was this was a bit higher risk than you know he would put his money into sure so but that doesn't that doesn't mean no that balls gonna, no blue chips not gonna work right <laughs> yeah but yeah well exactly i mean and i and it is it's it's not the appropriate ve- uh, uh, you know investment for most people but the only reason i was able to do it is because of what happened with the uber stock options okay yeah, if I, and if, i think yeah and but oh, there's there's something else like you you understand the potential in a deeper way because of thinking about it, all the different stuff, you know, Michael approaching you, like Idea Lab wanting to do the same business. Like it's, it, there's so many reasons and, and he's really got it working as well. You know, Doug has really got it working. I know Doug extremely well. Mm. I really, really like Doug. So you're investing in the team or the concept? Both. Both. I mean, Doug is the kind of person that like, I look forward to talking to him as much as he wants to talk about it. 
he wants to talk every day for an hour about it, I'm totally, I really, you know, like, like hanging out with, like, in fact, before this whole investing in, in, in the, in the, in the project happened, I mean, we had already agreed, we had already set up a, a vacation with both our families. We're both going to go to Pismo beach right. for three or four days together. Because your kids are the same age and all that kind of stuff. Kids right? the same age. Wives get along great. Doug and I love hanging out. So it's Fantastic. fun. And yeah. I was just telling him yesterday when we were talking, you know, he, you know, he, we, we've been talking almost every day. Like he'll email me about this. Or what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And then I'll be like, Hey, just give me a call. And we'll talk. And, uh, I was like, you know, one of the great things about doing a startup is that you get to like have a reason to hang out and talk with your friend about yeah. something as opposed to just like them telling you what happened to them, you telling them what happened to you and whatever. So, so anyway, the, the, it is risky, but I have to say it's an educated bet. I have done a lot of homework. I know the opportunity. There's no guarantee that's going to work. It is a risk, but it's an asymmetric bet like I like. It is, you know, I think there's a one in three chance it's going to fail. I think two-thirds chance it's going to work. But I think the chance, but if it works, it's going to, you know, be it's going to be vastly multiply that money. It's not just going to improve, increase it like 30%. I think the most important thing is that even if it fails, it's not going to impact your life massively. Like that, you had you were able to pull that money together without having much of an impact. That's right. I mean, you know, it, it seemed a little awkward. I mean, it seems a little like, wow, you're pulling out of your kid's education fund. That seems really irresponsible. <laughs> but it's like, okay, if it wasn't for the Uber situation, it would be incredibly irresponsible, you know? <laughs> but, you know, so... Um, I just think it's, it, would make, it would make a great blog title. You know, how I, how I rated my kids education fund to, <laughs> to finance well, a startup well the way i think about it is it's mostly money that i earned off of tesla yeah so it's mostly like how i turned my I, you know initial investment in tesla into whatever we'll see into all, and lost it all <laughs> yeah. you know it could very well be i'm either going to look like a really savvy investor or i'm gonna look like a complete idiot it'll 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 be one or the other mm-hmm. and we'll know in about a year and a half in a very public way yeah, in a very well. public way yeah. that's how i do it i guess but um it was funny. I was reading an article. Two things I want to say about it. I, I was reading an article uh, called something like 10 thing or I learned from Mark Andreessen or something. And one of the things was actually a reference to some quotes by Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. Charlie Munger is Char- uh, Warren Buffett's right-hand man. Yeah. And he said that one of the biggest mistakes that they've made is that when they saw something and they didn't act quickly enough and they missed the opportunity or they just didn't or they just dipped their toe in and they, even though they they saw it they understood it and they just dicked around mm-hmm. he said we've lost billions and billions of billion dollars and we keep doing it and he's like although we're getting better at it and that's one thing i've kind of i've made that mistake and now i've learned to trust trust myself trust my judgment when i see something and i understand it and i do the research and i believe it go be decisive. Do not dick around. Don't haggle. Just do a fair thing. Shake a hand and make it happen. So it's like that. It's like missing, not signing the Beatles or something like that. That's what these guys. You see, yeah, like don't when you see something, when you believe something, just do it. Yeah. Do not dick around. You know, I was talking to my buddy Phil about this, and Phil has done some angel investments, and uh, you know, I was talking about this whole thing, and he's like, you know, he's like, it's funny. He's like, all these angel investors that I've worked with, interacted with, they're always complaining and whining about how they never get any of the hot deals. They never get any of the deal flow. They never get any of the good deals. He's like, but they all, every single time when something happens, their first question is like, well, who else is investing? <laughs> who else is in on it? Like everybody wants to follow. No one wants to be the lead. Hmm. Everybody's like, well, you know, nobody wants to take a step forward. 
you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's like when you're a follower, when you're being careful and cautious, when you really don't trust your own judgment, you're not really going to do well. You have to go, you know what? I don't care what I don't care what anyone else thinks. I wouldn't of this. want followers. I'd want to do what you're doing where you're the first one in at the best rate and just you're the first and only one in at the best rate and then next people coming in here at a lower rate. That's the way I would do it. Yeah, but you know, most people aren't that. Most people are like, you know, well, hi, well, may, may all these other people if they're not investing, maybe that's for that's a reason. Maybe that maybe they're smarter than me. Maybe I'm making a mistake. And I don't know. I, as I've said on the show, I think most people don't know a whole lot. <laughs> and 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 I wouldn't base my what I do on what other people think because most people haven't done their homework. They don't really know what they're talking about. And it's like you know, Tesla was a perfect example. As we've talked about the year and a half, last year and a half, you know. And you just see people. And then I, I've, it was an article that some guy was writing about Uber, and he was coming all these numbers, and it hit Hacker News. And it was oh, like I saw that one saying that there's no way that Uber could. I was thinking to myself, they, they were saying there's no way that Ubers can scale. There's no way they're going to hit their numbers. And I was thinking to myself, that that is so wrong. Like Jason, no, Jason sees the inside numbers. Like, I'm like, you're, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, so well, the thing is, like, incorrect. Yeah, it's like you don't even know what you're talking about. You're just bullshitting and you're and, and you've been wrong he because he, he was completely wrong about the 3.7 billion dollar investment remember there back before that he's like well they'll never get to here and he was he should already be discredited you're already flat out wrong you know shut up like when you're yeah. wrong you should just shut up about something you don't know what you're talking about yeah. and yet you know and i'm sitting there looking i'm just kind of laughing and i'm just sure yeah anyway and i'm and that happens all the time these analysts are just you know, these, these people sitting on the outside, they just don't have access to the right numbers. They don't get it. They're just, they have sort of very narrow field of vision. And um, it's like, uh, you know, Warren Buffett always says he wants, and he wants to have a good laugh. He'll read an analyst report on a company or industry. He's like, analysts just... When a company like Uber, IPOs, or Facebook, or whatever, like, how do you kind of get the first shares at the right time? Like, what's what's the actual process to get the... the the shares as it opens. Oh, on an IPO? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you just like watch the website or watch a website somewhere and just... Well, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of that. I mean, a lot of times what will happen is if you're a wealthier client with some money management firm or some broker, the brokers will contact you and say, hey, look, we can get you done this IPO and how much would you like? And they get allocations and the big funds get allocations. So you can't just do it through Scott Trade, for example. But you can't. Oh. Like, remember we tried to do that with Facebook and, and that was the whole Facebook debacle at NASDAQ where it, or, yeah. where it didn't open for like six hours and it, everything just totally screwed up for their systems. But you, so, but if, if they're like not on the system, like how can you, you put it, you put a, li- you put a limit order or board saying, on, I'm on to buy. Tick, so the tick, their ticker ex- exists in theory, even though it's not traded. Yeah. It's not open yet. Okay. But so, when it opens, this yeah. is what I, I will buy it or I will buy it at this price or whatever. Okay. And that's what happens. So, yeah, that's that's how IPOs work. So anyway, to put a cap on it, um, so yeah, it's done. Um, he's going to, you know, the plan is to open up a location in the fall, and about I don't know, so I don't know, it's in the next town. It's like four or five miles away. Um, he's already building up like kind of demand and getting in touch with people and finding the right influencers. You know, because like you really what you want is these sort of uh, with the these super moms like know everybody and they're very influential <laughs> and are very like you know they kind of like in disease spreading they call them super spreaders mm. you know so you, and uh so i don't know but you know there's a whole lot of things we're working on and stuff and um i gotta be careful what i talk about because this is not like 
I, you know, it's not my startup where I, where I can just you talk can't strategy. be radically transparent about it. Yeah, yet. you know, it's it's his, and and I, you know, I can be a little, I I can talk about some things, but I'm not going to talk about all, uh, you know some of the stuff because it just wouldn't be uh, probably would be fair to him. But uh, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about. Although I have to say. I was definitely, there was definitely a part of me that was a little, got a little bit of cold feet at the last minute when I was pulling that money out. Really? A little, like, you know, the $75,000 is a lot of money to me. And so, it is a lot of cash, yeah. And so, it, you're just like, and, and then one thing is Doug is, Doug is kind of talks it down. He's like, well, it might not work for this reason or it might not work for that reason. And I'm more the one like Doug. This is going to work. Well, because he he's thinking, well, if I really blow all this money, I, I need you to know that, yeah. you know. I told you. Yeah, and he also rolled the the pay scale roller coaster. It's going to be huge, and we're this and that, and it took years and years and years for it was finally acquired. So he's he's gone he's gone through enough of the, you know, the just invented. It's a billion, it's going to be a billion dollar company. Well, after like enough of those, you're like, all right, well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know. Um, anyway, so that's it. But I got another thing to talk about. Go on. Project superhero. Huh. <laughs> What's Project Superhero? So Project Superhero. So you know how I told you my buddy Phil lost like 90 pounds? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, he was at 270 and he's, you know, he's periodically will text me and, you know, email me, say, you know, I just hit 220 or hit 215 or trying to hit this number by so-and-so. And, you know, he's been doing, he's been following Tim Ferriss's four-hour body workout and he's been, you know, and I mean, uh, four-hour body diet and then also working out, you know, six yeah. days a week. And so he's been doing it very consistently, just, you know, and, and, and been pretty disciplined about it. Um, and uh, so he blew right past me. <laughs> you know, I was at, you know, hover around 203, 204, 205, and then he went from 270, and then he's like down in the 190s, 180s, and I'm just like, okay. And so something inside me, I just said, all right, that's it. I got to, I got to, I gotta get my shit together, you know. Yeah. And the girl, my you know, my girls tease me. They're like, "Daddy's got a belly," you know, that kind of stuff. And you're just <laughs> like, "What?" You know. And kids, they don't really lie, right? Yeah. You know? And so I was like, you know, if Phil can lose that kind of weight, I can, I can get get going on this. And um, so one thing I told Phil though is because he was like trying to figure out like what what he should shoot for, like how weight should I go, what weight should I be, and I said, you know, I don't think you should shoot for a weight. I said. You need to go for Wolverine. Right, Shoot right. Shoot for Wolverine. I said, go for that body type. I'm telling you, that's going to work. You know, because he, he and, I, and it was funny. I was telling a, I, I was joking around with uh, one of the girls at the gym who checks the kids in at the the kids club thing there. And, uh, I, and I was telling her about this. And, and I said, you know, because I said, look, if you shoot for the Wolverine look, I said, I, I think that's going to work for the ladies. <laughs> and she's like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna work, you know. I was like, yeah, that's. I think. I mean, some girls like guys are really skinny, kind of the European look. Some girls like guys who are, you know, look like football players. But you really are pretty safe, right in that zone. And you know, Phil's single, right? He doesn't have a girl, so he, you know, obviously that's a, yeah. a side benefit he's looking forward to, <laughs> right? And uh, so I was joking with him about that, and I was talking to Sandy about it, and I said, you know. I said, yeah, the Wolverine, you know, he's going for the Wolverine. She's like, yeah. She's like, that's good. He said, he said but he's a little veiny. You know, he's like, she's like, and I said, all right. I said, so, I said, so what should I go for? I said, how about the Captain America? She's like, yeah, Captain yeah. America work. But then she goes, she's like, then she told me the other day, she's like, you know, the problem with Captain America though, is like, he's a little 
thinner than you. Like you might have, you're a little beefier. You say you right. might have to go for like the Thor. I'm like, all right, I'll go for the Thor. <laughs> so Phil and I have been like j- joking, joking about this. And he's, he texts me, he's joking. I mean, Phil's a really funny guy. So he's yeah. always got this. So he goes, let me see if I get one. He goes, so one thing he tells me, he goes, he goes to get a, a personal trainer now because he wants to start doing strong lifts. So squats and bench and all this heavy duty, hardcore lifting, with real free weights. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so he goes, I don't think I talked this on the show last week or not, but if I did, I'll, you know, I don't know. It's still kind of funny. He goes, the, he, he, the, he's signing up with the personal trainer at the gym and the guy's kind of taking down the form. And, and one of the questions is, what, what brought you in? Did I tell you this? No. He, he, he looks at the guy and goes, Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the, the trainer kind of looks at him like a little quizzically with a little smile and feels like, write it down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, let's see if I get a couple things that he's, uh, that he will, he texts me because they're so funny. He goes, uh, um, uh, I don't really have it all, but one thing he says is like, he's like, um, he's like, yeah, I saw Wolverine last night. I saw, look, I saw my future self. I look good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but the thing is, I have to tell you though, the reason I'm talking about this, uh, one of the reasons is I, I, so I've been doing it for two weeks now. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just said, all right, screw it. What's your approach? So mine's differently. I am not focusing on the diet. You know, a lot of people will tell you, you know, getting really fit, losing weight is 80% diet. I don't think that's true. If you ran a marathon every day, you're going to lose weight. I don't care what you eat. Well, it's, it's one truth. Well, it's just, it's just a scale. You can do it either yeah. way. You can starve yourself mm-hmm. or you can work, work out three times a day mm-hmm. or you can do it in the middle. What the thing is, is that for most people, for the amount of time that they're actually willing to put in the time to work in the gym, you know, 70, 30, 80, 20, whatever you, however you want to say it. But basically they're saying that the diet is important. You, yeah. you can't just ignore that. So the difference between Phil and I is Phil has, he, he doesn't have a wife or kids. He has complete control over what he eats, when he eats. I don't. It's really rough to say, oh, I know tonight's pizza night or we're going to go to a school function or we're going to barbecue and I'm mm-hmm. not going to eat anything. Oh, I agree, yeah. And I don't have that kind of willpower. You, you put everyone's cooking hot dogs and hamburgers. I'm, there's no way that I'm going to have like, well, give me two slices of strips of chicken and some broccoli. I mean, that's just not, I'm not, I don't have that. So my, my approach is work out really hard. And which is I do 30 minutes of free weights, you know, lifting heavy. And then I do uh, elliptical intervals on elliptical really intensely. And and uh, so that's that's sort of my approach because I figure okay. And then but what happens is the side effect is when you start working out really hard and you start seeing success, you start naturally cutting your diet a little bit. Like you know what, I'm not going to have a coke. I'll take a diet coke. Whereas a four, if I said all right, well I got I have to diet cokes and I can't eat this and I can't eat that, you're just like I just I can't do all that, right? But you immediately just start saying you know I just worked out like yesterday. I grabbed lunch at Chipotle, and I can immediately feel that thing sitting in my stomach all day. And so then I spent, so then to kind of like, to kind of like flush it on my system, I did like an entire hour on the elliptical doing intervals. I mean, I killed myself and I still could feel it on my gut. And so I'm like, all right, no more Chipotle. That's it. Like there's just this, it's just, I could tell, you could just feel the fat forming on your body after eating that. It was just too many calories. And so you see, so it's the side effect, right? It's sort of that positive feed look yeah. happens. 
But so here two things. Here are a couple things that I want. I've been thinking a lot about this about how this applies to everything, not just working out. Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this go like, I don't give a damn about working out. Like, okay, what this is is trying to trying to either transform yourself or or, or make a big change. Anything where you're doing a startup or trying to launch something or whatever you want to do is a couple things. One, you have to decide you're going to do it. Like Phil, actually, I have to say Phil inspired me. You know, and the person who pushed me over was Michael Hartle, who some people might recognize. He was the, he was the author of uh, Rails Tutorial. Yeah. Um, we, we grabbed, um, we got together a few weeks ago and he showed me, he's working out really hard and he's getting, he's really, he looks pretty jacked and he's like, yeah, I want to do this and that. And he does the, the Israeli martial art. I can't remember what it's called, like Krav Maga. Krav Maga, yeah. And he's, um, you know, uh, and I saw how, and he showed me like his, he is this, app called mobile app called b minder and it, sh- it was showing like his body fat percentage going down over time on stuff and mm. and i'm just like, all right and like after phil making all that progress and i'm like all right this is bullshit like i got i'm just i'm tired of this i gotta do it and so you gotta like just that switch has to go in your head you're gonna do this so whether it's like i'm gonna start working on a new project and i'm gonna learn something whatever it is like you just have to decide it really helps if you have someone inspire you like that. You know, that's why I always say like your closest five friends are important because they have such an effect on you. You know, and this would be an instance where it did. Right. Yeah. Um, the next thing that I, I think is probably true for most people. It definitely isn't true for me is the power of gradualism. Like I didn't come out and start doing an hour on the damn elliptical on day one. I did like 15 minutes. I went and lifted. I didn't start doing free weights. I just, all right, let me just get in and start doing the machines and I'll do 15 minutes or 20 minutes elliptical. And then I did 20 and then a couple days and I did 25. And then, then I like got to 30 and then I, cause it was just, it was like a psycho- psychological thing. It's like, oh, cause the thought of doing 45 minutes elliptical just sounded so boring and brutal that I just couldn't get myself to start. Yeah. So it's just start with something small. But what happens is, is once you start seeing progress, you start, it's like you smell blood in the water. You're like, oh shit. Like if I lost weight on this, now if I just do an extra 10 minutes, what will happen? You get kind of excited. And so you naturally start pushing it up as opposed to like, oh God, I don't want to do this work. You're just like, let me at it, right? You just start, start looking forward to it. And so, and it's just that power and the, of, of it, once you get that momentum going, which I think really hits after about two weeks. If you can get started on something for two weeks, you can get a habit going and you can start seeing some results. Like it, then, it, then the positive feedback loop happens and you get really excited and really aggressive. And um, another thing, which is like having Phil constantly text me with, you, you know, like the wolf did a thousand calories today or he'll just joke, you know, just say these <laughs> hilarious things, you know. And I'm like, you know, I'll kind of text something like a workout buddy then or like a, a diet buddy or. A, like- yeah, but it's not like it, but it's really kind of aggressive, like going after it. Like, yeah. but, but he's joking, but he's like, seriously, he's like, I'm going after this. And he's just like, you know, doing squats today, you know, whatever, you know, and it's like, all right. Yeah. Like, you know. Screw it. Like, it just gets you motivated. It gets you excited. It gets you... And I noticed that once you start seeing the results of the hard work, it builds a sort of confidence in your ability to make shit happen. Like, you're just like, well, if I work out enough, like, I know this will work. I did it. I saw the results. I measured it. I'm I'm tracking it in a spreadsheet. I see it working. Just like Michael was doing in his mobile app. And you could do it in a spreadsheet, a piece of paper, you want to stick it note. Just track it have your goal and track it and you know you can track it daily track it weekly whatever works for you but having that makes a huge difference 
So now I'm like, screw it. I'm going all the way. I'm going to drop 25 pounds. I'm going to get myself in you know, the shape I was in college. Like I was like, that's it. I'm done with the bullshitting around, phoning in the workouts. Like I'm, I'm there. And, okay. uh, but, and it's all, but it's just like that saying that nothing succeeds like success. Like just use the power of gradualism, track it, track and measure your progress, start light and then build up. As you see results, you'll naturally start to want to do more, you know, and, and then once you achieve momentum, it's like, it's like riding a bike downhill. It's easy. Like this morning, it wasn't like, well, because the day was going to be a busy day. We have a barbecue and stuff. And then we were going to record a podcast. I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm going to do a workout in the morning. And I'm not going to cut it short. I'm going hard because I was already motivated, right? I'm like, I go. Yeah, because I remember you used to say that you didn't like work, morning workouts. You couldn't do them. Yeah, but once you get super motivated, yeah, you're just like, you know, you become really aggressive with it. Like you just, it's, it's kind of a weird psychological effect. And I think the same goes for like, you know, maybe doing a startup project or whatever. It's like, you know, you, you kind of, I don't know, try and do it every day and I'll see results or whatever. But one thing about working out and the physicality, I mean, is that you actually have hormonal changes in your body that make you more confident, more, uh, I don't know, like your testosterone starts is higher levels. You're more right. aggressive. You're more like, screw it. I'm going after this. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, so anyway, it's only been two weeks. I mean, I've only lost probably four or five pounds, but I can tell it's going. And I've, I've hit, I just hit the, I hit escape velocity. I hit it. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, it's full momentum's going, but it's just like, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, if for anything else, two weeks, start gradual, just, you know, don't, don't go, well, I'm going to do like, we're three hours today. It's like, no, just <laughs> get in there, check the box every day. But have a goal like I want to lose 15 pounds or I want to do this or I want to do that. And then, you know, measure it. Don't go, well, because I remember one thing what Phil would do when he, we, he, he was trying to lose weight for years and he'd be like, well, I go into the gym. He's like, well, I don't want to be too hard on myself. I'm doing the right stuff. And I was like, it's like, you're being too easy on yourself. You need to be hard on yourself. And the only way you can be hard on yourself is that you actually have, you, you have a goal and you measure yourself. Did I make it or not? If you didn't make it, you change. And it was funny. Well, one last thing on it. Phil sent me this text this morning. It was this great. Uh, it was like a message on a sign that said, um, uh, "You know, um, what's it? Let's see here. If, if I can find it, it goes. Uh, ah, I can't find it. But it was like, good things happen to those who wait. And then it crossed out wait to who go out and fucking earn it. <laughs> you know, and that's just kind of like that's the right mentality, right? Yeah." You just have to go and earn it. Go and earn it. So, next, next topic. Yep. What you got? Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, I've meant to bring up for the last couple shows, but I forgot. My, you remember I told a story about how my brother Jay had a run-in with possibly the most prolific serial killer in American history. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And named Randy Kraft. Mm-hmm. Um. And this guy was going after and hunting Marines, of all things. It's like big game hunting. You know, he would go and he would meet a Marine in a bar or something like that. He would drug them yeah, in their beer or something like that. Take them home like his drunk buddy. Like, oh, I'm going to take my drunk buddy home. Take them home. Tie them up. Rape them. Dismember them. Mutilate them. Dismember them. And then kill them. Mm-hmm. Um. And it, and he, and he just, it's a lot of Marines as well as just other, you know, men 
uh, young men. And so my brother realized some story, what tracks him down, that he actually met this guy and spent an afternoon with him and was almost a victim. And so he wrote, he initially wrote a blog post about it. And he sent me a link and said, hey, what do you think? And I read it and I was like, okay, that, first of all, this is a crazy story. It's amazing. I go, but um, honestly, I don't think you should make this a blog post. This is, this is like literature. This is not just, you know, what I did last weekend that was fun. I mean, this is, I said, I would suggest you pull it off your website and I would submit it to like the New Yorker, Harper's, something like that. And he was like, huh, really? He's like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I'll go Google says. <laughs> so I sent him a link or two to a couple of things I saw on Google, like how to submit your writing to, you know, whatever. So he ends up sending, I think, to like the Orange County Register because uh, when Jay was in the Marine Corps, this is like 1980. So Jay's like 11 years older than me. And so this was back in like 1980 or 81 or something. And he was stationed at, uh, it was at Camp Pendleton, I think. I don't know. It's the one down in San Diego. And that's where Randy Kraft was operating. And so Jay wrote, uh, wrote this, so when he submitted it to the Orange County Register, which is down in there, that area. Yeah. And so they, the editors, they liked the idea, they worked with him, edited, whatever, got it out, and it just, it just went all over the web. Reprinted on, on tons of different websites, movie producer uh, i was kind of optioned it i think i mean just crazy <laughs> stuff it just took off yeah so i felt kind of good because i was the one encouraged him to do it you know so i was right. like yeah you know but i was like go jay yeah it's awesome well just um it was uh, made the list of like the atlantic monthly's list of the 100 best pieces of writing of the year and his was number one on their list wow Isn't that neat that's fantastic so he's obviously a very talented writer as well he is jay is an incredibly smart guy you know, I, in fact, I was, I had a call, there's a company that he's been um, in talks with, um, uh, Sheer Idea, I think it was called, um, and they were talking about bringing him on. They've been, he's been consulting with them for a while, and he's taking, he's going to possibly move from D.C. where he lives now to Eugene, Oregon, where they're based, and, and, and take on a full-time role with them. And Jay had initially t- told this guy about me, and he's like, hey, you should talk to my brother and whatever. So we had this long conversation. Um but he's like, yeah, your brother, Jay, he's just like a scary smart guy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. He's in the, you know, and, and of course, uh, if anyone interested, um, they go back and look at our uh, the interview we did with him. I can't remember what number was, but he, we interviewed him about the Fukushima disaster because Jay is a nuclear engineer who was a nuclear marine, a, a nuclear officer on a, on a nuclear sub. They used to hunt Soviet subs back in the, yeah early uh, 80s and um so and then later he did he ran numerical computational simulations safety simulations at nuclear reactors so when it was talk was when it came time to act about ask about fukushima like what's the deal here is this something they're concerned about whatever he was the guy to talk to also as it turns out his wife is japanese <laughs> and his wife and kid live in japan he goes back and forth so mm. that's a that's an interesting he, that, that's a good episode. I thought it was one of my favorite episodes or interviews, I think. Yeah. My mom really enjoyed that as well. Did she? Yeah. She listened to it. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was really cool that he, uh, that he did that. That, that, that is, that is writing. Well, where would we, how would we find that on the web? Like what should we Google? Or I'll, you, put we, I'll, put put link, link I'll put a link to it. It's in okay, the show great. notes, but you could type in Atlantic monthly, hundred best writing pieces of the year, whatever. It's like number one. It's really good. It'll come up. So yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean I've been talking nonstop forty five minutes. So what's what's new with you? Um, 
Well, what's new? I don't know. I've got some links and different stories to talk about. Um, ben Ben Boiter um, uh, donated fifty bucks, so he's the uh, executive producer of this show. Oh, awesome! Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, we have eight people uh, registered for the Texting Summit, which is happening on October eighteenth and nineteenth. Yeah, so we're trying to get twelve. You know, I talked to uh, Rob about that. Rob would come, but he's going to be in Thailand with the family. Oh, oh, right. Okay, so that's okay. that's a bummer. I'm going to try and get Phil to come out with that. Oh, that. that'd be great. Yeah. I think I, sp- I spoke to Lance and I think there's, there is a, a possibility that Lance and Joanna would be able to be there. Good. Yeah, we got to so. get over that 12, 15 range. Mm-hmm. We get to a kind of critical mass of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, I, th- I mean, I'm pretty sure that between, I mean, given that we've got eight now, between now and October, I'm pretty sure we'll get another, you know, five. So that'd be least, cool. One least. of the big problems that we have is that a lot, we have a lot of listeners, a lot of our, our sort of our more avid listeners are in Australia. Right. I mean, that's quite a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with um, uh, Alfie um, John about that, who's been a longtime listener, and he comments all the time, and uh, he's he's trying to figure out if there's any way for he can get over. Yeah. For it. So that would be cool. I, yeah. It's like I always feel like one day we got to do, you know, when we can afford it personally, like just fly to Australia. <laughs> do a little Australia tour because it's like we have so many listeners over there. It'd be fun to meet all That's these guys. That's weird. Like, I wonder why that why that is. Um, so, a web. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. This this piece. I mean, just go go to um, textinglive.com forward slash summit if you want to come and join us. We're going to do a weekend of um, unconference. Yeah. So the the loose plan is it's going to be you know a series of meals where we'll just like grab a section of a restaurant and we'll just like pick a few topics. You know, maybe with some law critiques, maybe it'll be brainstorming stuff, maybe it'll be talking about things, probably a lot of combinations of things. Maybe what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of put out a list of topics that people were most interested in and we'll kind of mix them up. And so that, so that you know, each, even if there's a top, one topic, it like, like, we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies at one, and that'd be one of the topics, you know, like, oh, I hate that crap. You're like, well, it's only one of four topics. Yeah. You know, we don't have to worry about it. I know there's, no matter what we talk about, there's always going to be a third or a fourth of the people are like, I have no interest in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just always the case. Yeah. But, um, and it's going to be the 18th, 19th, roughly of that weekend of October. Um, Sandy, I need to talk to Sandy about this. So she was going to reserve a block of rooms at maybe a couple of the hotels right down in uh, yeah, that's Old good. Town. Yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. You know, so they kind of get them all together at walking distance from Old Town, so they don't have to worry about transportation. Yeah, so um, a few people had posted about lucid dreaming, on the comments. Yeah. So it's been like a few people who uh, are, are believers, uh, well, practitioners like yourself. Yeah. Just because have, you know, having done it, like that's, that's the reason why I believe it exists because I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd give a quick little, um, overview of how I was able to make it happen. So lucid dreaming, what you, way you describe it is, is it something that you can be in, you can, you have sort of conscious control of the direction of your dream. Is yeah. That what you're I mean, you it it's, it's more, it's more like, it's in the same way as you have control over a video game. It's not like you have complete control over the world, but you have control to make choices within the video game. So, but, you, but not, you're conscious. Do you not do that in normal dreams? Do you not have kind of make decisions? It's not the same because you're you you're thinking to yourself, "I'm Justin Vincent. I know that I'm dreaming right now, and I'm going to do this really cool stuff." Okay, but but it's there's there's a very heightened sense of um, awareness and emotion. So. You don't, you, you're very kind of, well, it, you could be very happy. You know, it's kind of like being on drugs. <laughs> so, so I've obviously been playing the skeptic in this conversation. Not to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just, 
I've just personally never experienced and it seemed, it just seems a little hard to believe. Um, and I believe that you and other listeners who I'm sure are all smart, credible mm-hmm. people who say that they did it. I, you know, I believe at the very least, I believe you believe it. You controlled well, so, something it. Like, when you're in a man, when you're in a, sli- a kind of a, an unconscious state, I wonder, are you a credible witness to what actually happened? Well, it's an interesting thing. So, so one of the things that one of the, one of the comments, I, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the commenter, but they had said, that whenever they lucid dream, they end up in locked-in syndrome at the end of the dream. Yeah. And I had forgotten about that. What does that, that mean? That is very. That is explain, exactly what happens that. to me. So, so basically, it, I, I, you, you, because you're kind of conscious. I, I haven't been able to lucid dream for like a long period of time. Like it hasn't been like, you know, a ten-minute thing. It's just been like a minute long. I'm conscious. I'm enjoying it, and then I start thinking, "Wait a sec! I'm in my body, and I'm in a dream. What's going on?" And then, and then that starts to wake me up. And then I'm like, uh-oh, I'm awake, but I can't move. I can't move my fingers. Oh, oh, oh. And then I start panicking. And then I'm just like, I've just finally wake up. Like, so it, it's very, it's very strange. You end up in the, because you know how your body st- stops your, your, your brain stops your body from moving when you're asleep. Right. So you don't sleep walking and <laughs> so you don't sleepwalk and do all this other stuff. Right. So, so that, that has always happened to me. I, when I say always happened to me, I mean, I've only done it about two or three times, but yeah. in each of those times, uh, as it's ended, it's, I've ended up in that state, that weird state where I'm like, I'm in my consciousness, I'm locked in and I can't move my body. And I'm, and then I'm really panicking in my mind. Yeah. And then I like, so it starts off nice, but it doesn't necessarily end nice. But, um, yeah. So did you have a question? Yeah. So the one thing I, I found on Wikipedia when you and I were kind of Skyping back and forth and yeah. the one thing I found on Wikipedia were the sort of, so you, you sent me there's one psychologist who's a big proponent of it and wrote some paper on it. And then there's another one um, guy was like, look, you know, the, the, the MRIs of the brain state was much closer to meditation or semi-consciousness than actually being fully asleep. And so yeah. therefore it's less, dreaming as a sort of like some kind of control uh like a trance state or something yeah i mean that's what he was saying so you know and again i'm I'm not trying to um but does that matter i mean as as long as the effect is you're in this kind of virtual reality that you can have this interesting experience that's Mm -hmm. still kind of interesting yeah so um the way the way to get into it the way that i got into it the the first problem is is can you even remember your dreams Mm -hmm. so that they say that you can get into it by getting triggers. So, for example, one thing that I always used to dream about was being on a red bus in London, being on a London red bus with my a couple of my cousins. And it was just a reoccurring dream theme. But before that, I didn't even really remember dreams. So, first of all, you need to start promoting remembering dreams in the first place. And then once you remember the dreams, you need to start acknowledging the things that happen again and again and then in your waking state you need to think the next time i see that i'm going to think i'm dreaming so that's how you wake yourself up so first of all to actually remember your dreams to really start remembering your dreams you have a notepad next a to journal, your bed. dream journal basically dream journal and as soon as you open your eyes you just write down exactly what you can remember and that i've even started doing that recently and it just makes you start dream makes you start remembering your dreams more straight away because you're just conscious about doing that and then you start looking for the symbols, the consistent symbols, and then in your waking time, you just think to yourself actively, the next time I see that symbol, I'm going to just recognize that it's me. and I'm going to wake up in my dream. Right. That's it. So Inception was sort of like taking the idea of lucid dreaming and then, of course, 
making a, an extreme phys- fictional fictionalized <laughs> yeah. story about it, right? I mean, because the 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 essence of it was sort of lucid dreaming, right? I think so. I mean, I, I, I well, I mean, the essence. Except was, you're you're sharing a dream with other the people. The essence was being able to share a dream. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. Course, and, and was talking about the fact that you're in this dream state. So that's what it. It's like you're in this weird. Yeah. So you're sort of controlled, but at the same time, can you dream within a dream? And, and lucid dreaming, you know. I, well, I don't. Like know, I don't. Know, I don't know if you can dream within a dream, but I've definitely done that thing where I wake up and then I'm like, oh, and then I wake up again. I've definitely done that in my life, but I don't know the, if I was double wake up. Yeah, I've I've done that. Yeah, haven't you? No. Oh, I've done it. So then that's dreaming in a dream. Yeah, it's dreaming in a dream, but I I, I don't think it's I don't think that's particularly impressive. <laughs> anyway, my my version well, of it was impressive. I just mean it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, is that possible to do that? Do you ever have like night nightmares? Uh, have you ever had nightmares? Yeah, well, I remember my first nightmare that I remember was that the um the scarecrow, the tin man and the the scarecrow, tin man and the lion were paving the yellow brick road over me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was lying there looking straight up and they're paving it over me. And then they're all three looking straight down at me and they put that last brick over my eyes. Oh my God. And it goes to black. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's, I had uh, that dream two or three times when I was little. That's what, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I also wonder if, you know that dream thing where you try and scream and you can't, it's just kind of silent. You know, you try and say something and it's just silent. Have you ever had that? I don't think so. I've had that a lot. I wonder if that's a little bit like the kind of locked in syndrome thing. The, only, the, the, the most, the, this, I, I, this doesn't happen very often, but I, I occasionally I would have the dream where like I'm in college or something and like I forgot to take a class and I needed this last class to graduate. Oh, lesson. Georgie has that all the time. Yeah, yeah. But basically I think that has a result of when you just have too many things going on and you're, you're, you're feeling stressed to get your obligations taken care of. It's kind of like that and it, and it plays itself out like that. I and actually that happened to me in real life though at college. I was in college and I realized I had to I had been putting off taking a bio sequence or something and it was my senior year and I had and it was like fifth week and I had like one day to pick up a class of four. It was too late to pick up a class. And I remember, and I was not the only guy. There was this one other uh, dude, and we were sitting at the registrar's office, and he needed bio sequence, and I'm like, "All right, well, let's go, let's go hunting." So we like, what courses are going on right now? Like, we would just go sit in on the class. It's like, all right, does this seem like a class you could join fifth week and still pass? You know, some would be just too hard, too much stuff had already happened, like the test has already been given, and so I we ended up finding one or whatever. But it was that was exactly it. I mean, I actually have to in real life. Scary, but um. Yeah, so I got I got something. Um, Go on. So, do you remember I talked? I've mentioned this a couple times in the show that um, the Pasadena Education Foundation, which is a nonprofit that works with the school district, and they have um, they put they've done a few things with the school system. They have the robotics program for the junior high. They run a summer program for kids, which all my my kids do, and they also are setting up the App Academy at Pasadena High School. And yeah. Pasadena High School is a big school. It's like 1,800 kids. And they're certain, this is the, going into the third year. The first year, they were, the freshman year, were starting to teach them app development, PHP and HTML and MySQL. And the second year, I think they started doing mobile development. Is this the one where they, they beat the... Yeah, the freshman last year... Because you have mentioned this on the show. Yeah, the freshman competed in a hackathon at Pasadena Innovation Summit or something. And they beat, they won the adult division. So, 
um, we had there. Eric is thinking about doing something along the lines of like a Y Combinator, hmm. but for kids. Like he 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 didn't refer to that because he wasn't familiar with Y Combinator. But I said, all right, look, here's the model. You know, here's something that really works. And I said, but you don't have to make it about a company. It doesn't have to be financial, like a you know. But the idea of getting teams of two or three kids who want to work on some project, whether it's like a mobile app or a web something or a ro- robotic project or something cool that might involve skills from two or three kids uh, and something they want to carry out through maybe the whole year. And they could, it could be something they can enter in science fairs. It could be, oh, it could be a big open source thing. They, but you know, could be grow into a company after co- high school. That's not out of question. Um, but uh, so I, we spent a lot of time talking about that. And I just said, look, the what things really worked is that you assign like a mentor for them, maybe get some people like myself who are professional developers who can say, OK, you guys want to build this kind of app. Let's talk about what are your ideas? Kind of like how the part the YC partners work with the young. You meet yeah. once a week. You do like an office hours. You keep them abreast. Mm. You know, you kind of encourage them, right? Like give them advice. Say, hey, guys, why don't you, why don't you don't worry about this. Work on this other thing, whatever. And um so we spent, we spent talking, we, we've been emailing back and forth about it and we talked about it over lunch last week. And then at, during lunch, he's like, hey, he's like, do you want to come take, meet my staff? Because he has like 10 staff now who are developing all the curriculum because they're reinventing the curriculum, how they're doing math, computer science, physics, everything. They're making everything, they flip the classroom, everything is doing work in the class, not lecture. They you watch videos and stuff at night. It's all more project-based work or much more project-based work. In fact, the physics stuff they're gonna be working with caltech like he's because he's uh, he's a caltech alum and caltech is like a mile away two miles away mm-hmm. so he's been working with some professors and he's like look we want to we want to like use real world cutting edge research problems as sort of a, a jumping off point, not jumping off point, but just sort of a, a a basis for what we're doing and so like their math courses are using matlab which is like a math program like actually real applied math mm-hmm. not just like well here is the you know, that's lot great. of signs and so. You know, are you are you going to be a, a, an advisor? Well, I told him I'd be happy to be a, a mentor to a team. I said, but he, I'm right now. He wants me to kind of help, sort of advise and structure what the program is. Mm. You know, like how how it should work. Like should this, it be this round, shit or keeps or coming your way? This kind of educational stuff. So it, it's like it's coming from every angle. So you're yeah. definitely supposed to be part of it. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't believe in destiny and fate and supposed to be, but it, yeah, as a result of my interest in it and definitely, you know, there were luck surface area stuff, I guess, you know, it just happens. But um, it was really interesting going on talking to his staff. So he has like, it was like a startup. It's like they have one big, well, he has an office, a big office, which is kind of cool with all, you know, you know, it's kind of the conference room and the whiteboards with all the equations and drones and 3D printers and <laughs> electronics all kind of cool stuff and then he showed another even bigger room with all there are the you know the guys or there's some I guess some girls too with desks you know with you know kind of an open area you know and it looks like a startup except it's in the Pasadena high school <laughs> and so they're reinventing like how math should be taught they're they're they're, they're taking all of the research and like this is you know, how do we do this like how do we make it fun how do we make it engaging how do we make it so they all learn and that we don't have people you know, who can't do it. Now, is that a private or public? Public. 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 So, passing education. So, Sandy, my wife, is on the board of PEF. And what they do is they raise a lot of money in the community for these kinds of things. App it's Academy interesting. Like, I mean, isn't programs. that 
is, is there any uh i'm just trying to think like it it must be difficult to make that kind of thing happen in a school when you think that it's a risk like it's kind of unproven in a way it's like an unproven method of teaching or something like that yeah so the app academy is limited like not every kid is doing that right right initially they had 30 kids who wanted to do the app academy you know mm. and it's a you know it's like a new class and they have so to it's get- like opt-in it's opt-in yeah so. yeah oh yeah, yeah but you absolutely. say a new way of teaching math you know, so then that's not the actual math class classes it's people in the app academy the app academy will be doing the math class they'll be doing the physics class and i you know we we're talking about biology he's like yeah you know he's like biology he's like you know he's like um he's like we want to do stuff that's more applied and i said you mean you know like synthetic biology he's like yeah he's like i was like have you heard of iGEM, which is the high school competition he's like yeah exactly he's like so you're gonna <laughs> teach biology rather than saying well these are how plants photosynthesis works and this has like no let's actually engineer some stuff and, 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 and work like as more like biology, biological engineers. Yeah. Way more fun, way cooler, um, than just kind of memorizing, you know, biological processes or whatever. So, um, it was funny. So I went into their room, talk, talked to their staff. And so I was just hanging out there for like 45 minutes and, and, uh, yeah, it was almost like a podcast. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Oh, have you guys read, read about, you guys know about space, space memory distributed practice or deliberate practice or the blooms two sigma problem or you know this and this i was going oh and they're like what what are you talking about and so i'm like oh, i'll send you a link. so i so i said well don't worry i'll send you a link i'll send you links to all this stuff you know and i should read this book you should read these two academic papers you should read this and so i sent an email to um eric after and i said here i said you know great meeting your staff you know super bright people and here's the references to all the things that i was bringing up that they weren't familiar with and he's like he even like the next day he's like awesome he's like we've already looking into this and it's already become part of the things that we may be looking into doing and uh you know i was like well how how you're talking about how mit had flipped their physics curriculum rather than having a lecture hall they changed it to like you know you, you do the you read or watch videos at night and then you work in turn in work groups with ta's and, you know, because too many kids at, in physics classes at MIT were, were doing poorly, which seems wrong. I mean, these people are plenty smart enough to be able to do well in physics. And clearly the education... So the flipped classroom works because you have... You, it's essentially like being tutored on the spot, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Which is what Sandy and I are going to do a lot more next year with the kids and the math team when we're, you know, because we're going to do a, the, the sort of... I don't know what you're going to... It's, it's going to be more than just a math team, but yeah, we're going to really focus on having them do the work in the class so that you can keep an eye on kids. So you make sure if a kid doesn't get a concept, you can resolve it right there. And they have to do less homework, right? It's, you know, they can do it in the, might as well do it in class with us to help them. Because if you depend, because one thing I thought we could do, I thought we could depend on the parents. Um, and you just, you can't consistently depend on the parents. Sometimes some parents don't have the math background to, to do it they're like i don't i don't know this stuff they're like i've got emails from some of the parents are like yeah i don't we really didn't know what to do and you know and, and they're busy and they got sometimes they have multiple kids and it's just you know you just it's just not something to depend on and then therefore you get a bifurcation between the parents who have who do focus in on it and the parents who don't and that's not because the kids not always because the kids are less interested or or whatever it's just because the parents don't have the aren't as dialed in so it's like okay how do we how do we make it so that all these kids succeed let's just do the work in the class hmm. you know because i'm not you know you don't want to depend on something that you really can't depend on so anyway this has been really exciting hmm. so i i mean we'll see how, so i'm probably gonna rope you into this you're probably oh, okay uh, i think you think you i would nominate you as a good mentor for some <laughs> group of students 
You know, what do you, what do you think? Do you think Absolutely, that'd be cool? love to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, maybe you wouldn't always have to meet in person. Maybe you do it once every two weeks or maybe once a week. It's, you know, video. Maybe once a week you, you go to the school for an hour and they sit there and they say, all right, so, you know, we're doing this, this, and this. I mean, you would love that. Yeah. You you, you love sort of It would be great. It was, it was a lot of fun and with Catalyst. I would love it, yeah. But then you're talking about high school kids who are a lot more. Yeah, so they're, they're actually, they're going to be, they're going to be with it. And it's, it's not, it's not kind of like the way it was with Catalyst where they would forget it the next week kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, these kids do it every These guys day. actually know it. They're winning competitions. They're, they're, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, they're like, you know, say, all right, guys, why don't you look at this? Jeez, it would be this. like a fun version of being a CTO. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there's no real skin. If they, if, they, if, they, if they don't do the work, it's no real skin off your back. You're like, hey, guys, I really think you should make more progress. Well, another, another nice thing about it is it's an, op- it's an opportunity to, for me to work with a team who are trying new tech that I haven't used before, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, it's, that's always really good. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and it's a lot of how like PhD advisors work at, at professors in univer- universities. So they say, hey, here are some interesting problems that I think would be appropriate for your PhD thesis. Yeah. You know, read this paper to what you think. Okay. You know, let's see if we can find a problem for you. Okay. And it's usually something that the professor's like, I could do this problem, you know, but this is an appropriate thing for you to work on a couple of years. I don't know it that well. We'll work on it. We'll explore it together. I'll guide you. You do the, the grunt work. Yeah, and that's kind of how it works. So that's essentially what it is. Thanks. That'd be neat. So, I, I anyway, I think that would be a, a pretty success. That could be a, a successful model for them. Because um, I said, you know, the classes and, and all this stuff is is great, but really, it's the project work that makes people good at stuff. You know, something they dig into and they spend a lot of time working on and thinking about, and it's fun. You know, and and working together if you got the right teammates, it's it's fun. Hmm. So, yeah. Was it you who told me about Orange is the New Black? No. Have you have you watched that show? No. That's the HBO about women. Uh, no, it's show not about HBO. It's um, AMC? Netflix. It's a Netflix, Netflix original. Okay, it's yeah. a women's prison. Yeah, thing. basically, it's it's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, it's it's um, you know, Georgie likes it a lot, and uh, you know, I like it because it's a good, um, just a good storyline. Um, but it's it's just cool how Netflix are making this original stuff now. You know. Yeah. Like uh, House of Cards. And, and I saw that Hulu, I don't, I don't know if, if Hulu's backed by a bunch of different TV stations, but they're also doing a lot of original stuff as well. Oh, right. So, you know, the new media model, right? Right. It's going to be like well, streamed in that it's way. It's better for us because, you know, we get just it's a much more variety, many more but high quality shows. The, also, if I understand correctly, Netflix do an interesting thing where they don't drip it out by week. They just give you all 12 of a season in one mm. go. You know, every season comes out, it's all 12. You can watch it in your own time. Yeah, because it senses, senses streaming, it doesn't make any sense to just do it one at a time. Yeah, yeah so because you don't think of it that way. Right. You know, and so people just gorge on it and just watch it. Well, speaking of shows that I... I you remember I was recommending... Um, I was recommending two new shows, Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, yeah. Th- was that the one you... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one. That is an AMC one. That's good. Uh, I haven't decided if it's either. As Sandy said, you know, she's like, I, I don't really like any of the characters that much. So I, I kind of, kind of have that opinion too. There's, I'm trying to decide if there are any characters that I like. It's still a good show, but Silicon Valley is hilarious. Oh my god! I told you Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, you know, I, I was telling you we were, we were watching together. No, no, I, I, I'm sure I, I'm, I've like keep on saying, really? to, yeah, yeah. If, if you go over the last few shows, you'll keep on hearing me saying. But Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley, and you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it, I'll really? get to it. I it I, is so flipping funny. I've I, seen the whole series. I, I, I'd finished it like uh, three weeks ago. Oh no, I mean, I, we we watched the first one like 
I don't know, four months ago, five months right. ago. But anyway, it is so funny. Yeah, so I watched the first one, and it's funny. I think the first three are, it takes a little time to get into yeah. it. But by, I said that when, it, when they get to the point of the, um, the mural, yeah. <laughs> that episode, I think it was like the fourth have episode. You seen, have you seen Tech Crunch Disrupt yet? Oh, yeah. I, I actually lived that. I, <laughs> I was there. It was, it was, it was, um, I, it was funny. I mean, I, I think they, they held, I think they actually, where they shot it was pro, it looks like it was, might have been during a real event. And not only that, it was the same space I no, was in. It, w- it wasn't a real event. Like they, they, I, I looked at the behind the scenes stuff. They recreated the whole thing. Oh my God. It looked yeah. exactly. I told Santa, yeah. I was like, that was in 2009. I was the there. Thing. I did that thing. But they got, they, they called a lot of old companies back to redo what they had done. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they set it all up. Oh my God. I swear to God, the people, the space, the everything field, about it, it is so accurate. I was like, yeah. oh my God. I, Sandy, you have no but idea. But also, how the, it, this the, is. The, the, the way that the people, the personalities of the people, like Guilfoyle. Oh my. Guilfoyle and Darmesh. <laughs> is that Darmesh? Yeah, Guilfoyle they, and Darmesh. I, I feel like I can bet those people. Like, they are so and typical Richard? of, like, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and the name of it's called Aviato. <laughs> Aviato Ehrlich, Ehrlich I love it's Ehrlich right Ehrlich, yeah. I love Ehrlich and he's like he's building his own little Y Combinator in his house yeah. <laughs> he is great um, I, yeah I, I, it, when he gets the one with the mural that, that show episode funny. 4 so there on I mean from there on it's I, I, yeah I mean I, I then, once it got to that one then, then I found it to be hilarious that, you know that's Georgie's favorite show like she loves that more than because the reason why she likes it so much is because it it brings our world to her in a, in a very parodied way. But she she's heard all these buzzwords now. She fin- gets it. finally she she gets it. But she really believed that the Wiseman score was a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> they, they do such a good job of it. It's so funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It could be. If you, I don't know anything about. Oh no! If you, so. if you go to, if you go to wisemanscore.com, mm-hmm. uh, basically there's already fan sites. So if you go to wisemanscore.com, it'll let you type in your website. And it just kind of does, it does these kind of really super cool graphics and it goes, you know, adjusting X threshold, you know, adjusting Y threshold, scanning for, for deep root particles, all that kind of stuff. And then it gives you, gives you a website. Oh, that's cool. great. Yeah. So anyone who's not watching it, you're missing, you really are missing something. But I would say the, it takes to the fourth episode, I, at least for me, that's how long it took before I really, before I found it to be hilarious. At first I thought I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You know? Like the first one, I don't know how that happens sometimes, but, you know, especially with, I think with comedies, sometimes you don't really get the humor right away. You know, that, that happened to me with um, Arrested Development. Like mm-hmm. you, you kind of, it was such a different type of, 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 of sense of humor that it just, like you just, it was, you were just kind of confused at first. And then once you got it, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? You're backgrounding me. I'm going to wisemanschool.com so you can see the Wiseman score of texting. Right. There you go. Look. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> funny. So, um, absolutely. So, if you're, for, 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 you're going to watch a show, Silicon Valley has to be it. Well, especially for, for anyone who's listened to this show. I mean, you don't even have to be in attack. It's so damn funny. I mean, Mike Judge did uh, Office Space. Yeah. I mean, these last few episodes of... Of Silicon Valley, every bit as funny as is, is is Office Space, and Office Space was. They've just done awesome. so much research as well. Like they really have researched it, and the the different people in it, the Pe- Peter Gregory. Peter Gregory, yeah. you know, he's based on uh, Peter Thiel. Did you know that he's dead? The, the actor who the plays actor, Peter. the actor yes. died. Yes, yeah, I yeah. know, I know. He had but, uh, yeah, can't cancer, yeah. brain, pancreatic cancer. I think he did such a good so. job in the show. Like he he really, and the the way that they describe him, he, like. 
he thinks so laterally it's it's really hard to understand what he's thinking but then he gets to this incredible solution yeah no, and the one particular <laughs> episode you're talking about was great uh, yeah well you know he made up that 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 halting pattern of speech he made up on his own and it just turned out that that's actually how peter Thiel talks to a degree i mean not that to that extreme but he he speaks in a very halting way mm. and um you know i've obviously i've watched a number of um of uh of videos of his speeches or whatever and uh, is, there's there's there it is uh, there's some similarities there but okay i've got a topic for you unless you've got one i got plenty of stuff i keep going well just one one quick thing facebook being down for like half a day so to me that was pretty astounding that a company could have a global outage a company like facebook could have a global outage like what single point of failure could they possibly have mm-hmm. you know um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it just seems pretty remarkable to me. Got nothing. I got nothing. Okay, they screwed it up. They screwed up. They don't. They don't have us. They don't. Have, so basically, they have. But I mean, a, consider consider how distributed technology is. I mean, consider how distributed a site like Facebook must be to be in every com- country, right? You know, like must have servers in every country. The DNS stuff in every country, like like in in India, in in England, in like it, it's. It it went down and half a billion people stopped using. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. five hundred million people don't get a service. How is how can a system like that have a single point of failure? It just that seems incredible to me. Um, there was some inter- there was some funny comments on Hacker News. Um, one person said uh, it's interesting that you know half a billion people are displaced right now. Someone else says we'll probably see a peak birth rate in nine months. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, what else are we gonna do with our time? Right. Yeah. Um, do you, yeah, because I mean, I, I know stuff happened like with Uber. I mean, Uber has worked on that more recently because they had situations where it wasn't Uber's fault, it was the data center's fault. Like, all IP addresses, internal IP addresses couldn't be found mm. between the servers and things like that. And it was, yeah, and so they, I know that that's one thing that's been worked on in the past six months. Is, you see, is it seems like it has to be. I mean, the only single point of failure I can think think of could be the internet <laughs> you know like you know like basically ip giant like, backbone but even they they route around stuff so yeah like that's why it's so strange who knows yeah well if, if you're a listener and you know i mean just from my own curiosity i'd be interested to know how well, i'm sure, they'll, I'm sure there'll be a post-mortem completely go down i'm sure there'll be a post-mortem where someone internal will come up and explain exactly what happened so did you see the one where they how the um u.s marshals uh, u.s marshal accidentally applies to all anonymous Bitcoin auction bidders in the, uh, you know, in the Silk Road Bitcoins, they were trying to mar- auction off. No, I didn't tell me. Yeah, so so they, there was basically, I guess, they were all in this email. All the people who would, who contacted the Mar- U.S. Marshals said, you know, I'd like to bid on those Bitcoins, and because they wanted to sell this off, this is like oh yeah, that that was the one where they were selling like thirty six- million or something in Bitcoin or something. Oh, like thirty thousand Bitcoins or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, it turned out that. Um, that they were on email list, so he, the guy does reply. Also, they all know who each other are. <laughs> As anonymous bidders are not, you know, so they're not anonymous anymore. No, no. You know what's really interesting though? Um, so I know a guy who was staying, who took over the room that the Silk Road founder had was staying in in San Francisco and living in that space. And he was talking to two other roommates, and and the guy just disappeared for like three months and never came back and left his laptop there and stuff. And the FBI never came and took a look at the laptop. 
Isn't that weird? Yeah. So did you see the part about um, there? Uh, there's a mining pool, a Bitcoin mining pool that has over 51 percent, which means they can basically hack the system. Well, I think the, the way I understand it is they can deny other miners claims to have mined a new block and claim it for themselves, things like well, that. Well, not just that. They can, but also, they can also deny transactions. They can exploit the double the double payment bug, mm-hmm. right? And um, but it's not really in their best interest because if if they if they do that, then the whole the Bitcoin value you know will be, become devalued. Well, no, no, I mean, no, I mean, I, what could be happened is they just decide to exploit it and siphon off cash as they want to. I mean, they, they, the guys are talking about how they, how they did that to a gambling site. They'd place money on red. If it, uh, you know, if it, if it ran on black, they would cancel the, the, oh, really? Yeah. So this, 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 this gang have done that. Well, it's just, it's a mining pool. I want to call it a gang, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but according to this article, and these guys seem pretty sharp. They seem to really know what's going on. They've been claiming, like, this is a big problem, and people don't realize it. And a lot of people are claiming, like, well, you know, they're not going to do this because it takes everyone down. But the reality is, if they if they say, well, you know what, we're just going to try and maximize our return over the next three months or six months, they could do a lot of things to take the system down and say, you know, we're going to suck all the money out in the, in the meantime to our advantage, and then it goes down. But in the meantime, we cashed out and made a ton of money. So what what are the... Is there any way to to stop it? Well, the guys were talking about uh, who wrote this article were talking about doing a hard fork of some kind that would prevent that type of thing from happening, you know. And so this is the kind of stuff as I've talked about on the show at different times is like Bitcoin may not be Amazon. You know how Amazon came up, they took over, they came out 16 years ago and it has just grown and it is it, Amazon is the place you buy books mm-hmm. and along with all these other things. Or it could be Friendster. Which then became then we had a MySpace and then a Facebook. Like it could be just version one because it just has too many flaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this does sound like a big flaw. Yeah, I mean, it's a potential, really potential weakness that a mining group could take over fifty one percent. I mean, the whole point is that it's distributed and that nobody, there's no centralized control over it. And so, you know, but in the meantime, I mean, the price is pretty good. I mean, the price went down there to three hundred and then it's now back up at six hundred. So prices change. Yeah. That's you know what I mean? I mean, it's like the prices just reflect what people think at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have any, it, you know, things. To be so different. you're thinking maybe it's not such a safe long-term bet. Yeah. Yeah. That I find that to be concerning mm. personally. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know enough about the Bitcoin algorithms themselves to really have an educated opinion on it. Um, but reading carefully through the article, I think it made a very strong case that it's, it's a significant flaw that needs to be dealt with immediately. So what would a, what would a hard fork look like? Would, would your Bitcoin be on an old system then? Or would you, your Bitcoin still be worth something on a new system? I don't know. I mean, obviously, you can transfer them. You can, you can, you can translate one one currency into another currency but of course if there's a big run like everybody leaves like a few people start bleeding out of time and then more people more people. as soon as right everybody down. was like oh crap it's like a run on the bank yeah right then everybody sense. who's left towards the end is loses everything yeah yeah so i don't know i mean i i um i think it, it's something to keep your eye on if you have any significant holdings in bitcoin hmm. um 
Well, thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Um, so, oh, um, one thing I, I wanted to just mention quickly, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, so, Kobe's taking a robotics course for this summer program. Um, yeah. There's that I mentioned that PEF they they do a summer program for kids like elementary and junior high school high high age kids for it's like five or six weeks and it's just four hours a day for six weeks or something. And the kids take like fun class, like Izzy's taking chess and cooking and art and Colby's taking robotics and 3D printing and, and uh, woodworking. Anyway, so he's doing robotics, but they're teaching robot C, hmm. which is actually like, it's kind of like JavaScript. It's like C light, but it's, you know, but you can control the Mindstorm robots. And um, it was really cool. He comes back the other day and he's like installing robot C <laughs> on his computer and then he He's having troubles installing on my wife's computer and and uh you know you know i'm like wow so I, I actually was staying out of it. it's like you know what i'm not gonna get in the in his face and like oh you should do this i'm just gonna see what he does mm. because he spent all day working on it and i'm like that's kind of cool and you know i was talking to doug about uh this was yesterday i guess he goes he, he he's he's creating he's making it so that the kids in the in the coding program can make tutorials for the other kids to use you know can and and um, and so he said you know and i said well that, maybe if you do that i'll see if i can get colby to write up some tutorials on robots that's a great C. idea because you don't you never learn something as much as when you write a tutorial about it exactly so i told colby i'm saying hey colby would you, you know would you be interested in doing that and he's like he's like so my my mind would be teaching older kids minds <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Good way. <of> <laughs> and I was it. like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, I'll start doing it. So what he started doing, he skyped <laughs> me the instructions one by one. Each sentence was a new Skype message. Yeah. And he had like, I mean, it's pretty short. It was like five. You know, go to Robot C and download the list. Do this, and then to move it, you type in these commands and stuff. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, all right, Colby, let's put this, put that in one text document. Now let me ask you a question. I don't know. What am I supposed to plug into what? How do I get the Bluetooth working? And he'll be like, okay, explain that. And so I'll kind of like do sort of like a little dialogue there with him where he's got, he'll fill it out by answering my questions. Nice. And I said, you know, what we should do is take a photo of your robot and then screenshots and put them up there. And uh, yeah, anyway, I think that's such a cool idea for kids writing tutorials on how to do stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. what a great educational opportunity. Because you know, Colby, like a lot of kids, hates writing. He just, it is anguish to get, you know, actually like, you know, they have to like get a pencil and paper and write about something. But he doesn't have any problem typing. Yeah. And, and I'm writing a tutorial about how to do stuff. He's all about it, hmm. you know. Um, and he loves to explain stuff because I, we went on a hike last weekend for, on Father's Day. And for an hour, as if we were an hour and five minutes to the waterfall, he spent the entire time talking to me about how he was going to create the first trillion dollar space program <laughs> and how and the, and the kind of space station he was going to build in in incredible detail and i literally my ears were, I, I was just like i had a headache i was like lightheaded I was like all right go back <laughs> like it was so much and sandy kept looking at me like crazy and then i kind of pawned him off on her <laughs> i kind of maneuvered myself so i was on the other side of the girls and so he just started so he spent the entire walk back explaining to sandy about how the rockets were going to work transporting supplies and people between the space station and earth wow like carbon fiber titanium liquid fuel rock i mean just and he gets that from kerbal right he learned a lot of that from kerbal yeah and 
<laughs> and someone from StarMate and videos or whatever. I don't know. And Sandy would look at periodically like, is he ever going to stop? I'm looking at him like, <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I mean, like we were just like at the end, at the end of this three hour hike and it was a brutal hike at the end. Cause it was really hot and we get up there and finally he stops talking about it, you know, cause he's distracted by eating hamburger or something. And we look at each other. We're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> and that's when I realized kids are really, you know what they are? They're a dose of your own medicine. I got a dose of my own medicine. Mm-hmm. If anyone's like, man, Jason talks a lot. <laughs> like, wait till you see Colby. <laughs> like, he will just go at me, one track mind. For I mean, he would talk for three hours if I had not maneuvered myself out of the situation, <laughs> fought him off on Sandy. Well, I hate to I hate to to bring a good thing to an end, but um, I do have a hard deadline today. So um, maybe just bring up one last one and then we'll have to call it a day all righty all righty let me see here um looking looking make sure there's nothing that really good that i wanted to talk about oh you know i'll bring this little one up this is just a small one you remember you remember how i was saying i was i was frustrated with how mathematicians focus on the importance of math proofs Mm -hmm. that math for them, of course, math is about discovering new truths about math, new patterns, new relationships, and therefore recognizing them and then figuring out how to prove that they are true or in what, under what circumstances they're true. And therefore, you know, and I gave this example about how, you know, they they were we were referring to anything other than you know solving equations or anything was just, just to them arithmetic, like it was just ridiculously insignificant. Wasn't there one about something about one times one or something one plus one, like it it never equals what you think it does, or they changed it around? You had told me something about that. Um, all right. Don't I don't know which I, yeah I can't remember which what you're referring to but anyway so I, I was thinking about this I'm like you know because I and my, my my sort of rebuttal to that is like okay so what you're saying is all the math that physicists and engineers do is arithmetic so you're telling right. me the kind of math that say Feynman did or you know all these people they're just doing arithmetic you know which I think is obviously silly you know and and so was, but the thing I was thinking about is and and I was I was for a long time thought I was gonna be a mathematician I was a I an, uh, got an undergraduate degree in math, and I was thinking about going to get a PhD. But in the end, I took the entrepreneurial route. But there's a part of me, I realized later that I was more applied math than, than pure math, like using, using sort of advanced tools and uh, math tools and techniques to solve really interesting problems. Like that's more where I am at, where I, as opposed to exploring relationships and doing proofs. I, I didn't find that as fun. Um, so, like, that's when I watch the episode of numbers. You see, watch an episode of numbers. I'm like, that's what I would like to do. Like, okay, we have all this complicated data, and we have to figure this thing out. It's like, okay, here's the tool for that. Here's how we're going to break this thing down. How, you know, that's that's fun. So, anyway, I was starting to think, like, okay, one of the ways that you realize, like, what how valuable something is is the, is the probability that you're going to use it. So, if I said, hey, um, how would you like it? Justin, if I taught you Vietnamese or Swahili, would you like to learn that now for the next year? You'd be like, you know, I don't have any plans to move to Vietnam. It doesn't seem like a good use of my time, right? Mm-hmm. There'd be something, and that would be true for about 99.9% of things I'd bring up like this. Like, I'm not really going to use it. So the value of it 
to a large degree is the probability that you're going to use it. Um, now, there is something said for people to say, well, just being familiar and understanding things increases your sort of foundational knowledge. So, like, you know, it's like, under, you know, studying Shakespeare in high school or something or, you know, or the Canterbury Tales or something or, or, you know, it just sort of gives you some sort of a foundation for understanding literature and whatever, right? And even that could be a little bit arguable, you know, like if that's true or not. Um, but I looked at it and I said, I'm going to check out some numbers here. And so I found this. This is on Duke uh, 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 at uh, Duke University. That and they that the rough approximation is that there are about seven hundred thousand students are enrolled in college level calculus courses in the U.S. in any given year. So that would be in high school class, junior college, college. Seven hundred thousand kids take calculus. Mm-hmm. Okay, but a large part of calculus is not really application based. It's more about doing. Epsilon delta proves so the definition of the derivative. You spend a lot of time dicking around with limits and stuff, which is like, you know, they spend a lot of time thinking, talking about the importance of rigor in mathematics. Like, important to be rigorous, being like, how do you know something is, this thing is true? There's this tool. We're going to prove that it's true. It's really about proofs as opposed to saying, well, you know, as long as the function is differentiable or continuous, then we can, you know, these things with, that, with derivatives and integrals, and therefore we can solve these kinds of problems. As long as you know that those things are, that those conditions are, um, are um, met, you can use the tool, right? Yeah. Then let's go use a tool. Like, we don't need to spend, it's fine to spend, you know, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, say, hey, why don't we do a little mat proof to show you how this works? Kind of neat. Now you can see it. Okay, now move on. Let's figure out how to solve some, all kind of range of interesting problems with this tool. So, 700,000 kids do that. You know how much, the best estimate that I found, when I think is a very liberal estimate, 1,200 PhDs are awarded in math each year. 1,200. The only people that really need to know how to be able to do math proofs are mathematicians, not physicists, not electrical engineers, not, you know, astro-aeronautical engineers. Those people do proofs. I mean, they might understand some proofs, but they don't, it's not really relevant to what they do. Yeah. But we spend a huge amount of time focusing on the importance of proofs on rigor when it, in, in the, where the probability is, that they're never going to use it. So, for instance, I think I, I don't know. I did the number. Like, if you averaged, if you said that roughly twenty-five kids are in a given calculus class, then I think my number I came up was like there's like twenty-three. I'd have to do the math and take over again. It's like twenty-three or twenty-eight classes. One of those kids would go get a PhD in math. So basically, if you went all in Pasadena, every high school, every private school, junior college, one kid would go on to have for that to be irrelevant to them. And that, the other thing is, twelve of 1,200 math PhDs are awarded, probably at least half of them are, are kids from Europe or from, uh, the, so they didn't even take calculus here. So basically it's twice as bad as that. So it's like maybe one out of 50 calculus classes, all those kids spent all this time doing these proofs and limits and rigor this and rigor that, had zero impact on them learning at all. And... Which, therefore, it looks to me is like, if you want to talk about logic and, you know, you guys are experts in logic, well, the, you know, let's talk about the probability that something is valuable. The probability that something's valuable is, you know, the probability that you're going to use it, how much impact, you know, sort of like the expected value of something. So, it's like, what's the expected value if I roll a dice and, 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 and uh, let's, say, let's say for simple math, there's a 10-sided dice and if you get a 10 out of 10, you get a million dollars. 
and everything else should get zero. So it's 10% so the expected value is $100,000. So we do an expected value calculation, like what's the potential payoff of having studied uh, proofs times the probability that you're actually going to use it. It's like almost worth zero. And the other thing is, if I said, hey, like, I can teach you Vietnamese in three hours. You might be like, all right, screw it. Teach me Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. But I'd say, well, okay, well, it's actually going to take you all year. You'll be like, yeah, right? That's part of the calculation. How much work does it take? Yeah. So um, that that sounds like a lot of kids wasting a lot of time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it just seems kind of interesting, you know, yeah. which which another thing I'll say about it is like, you know, and I, but at the same time, I kind of, there's a part of me that wants to teach like proof techniques to the simple level logic to the kids because I think it's neat. Yeah. But the fact, the problem is that kids a lot of times struggle with it and don't like it. It's kind of poorly taught. But again, it's just sort of interesting. So I have cognitive dissonance about it. You know, it's like I'd love, you know, in this, you know, the, in this math class, teaching the kids to like teach them basic. It just seems like they should, they should like whittle it down to 10% of, of what they're doing now yeah. and bring in other, other more interesting stuff. A more relevant stuff. Relevant stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. potentially useful stuff. Yeah. You know, anyway, I just thought it was interesting to put some numbers to this sort of. Yeah. Uh, you know these things I was espousing well thanks for doing that yeah I'm sure you really (laughs) (laughs) not being a math guy really means a lot (laughs) to you but I thought it was interesting alright cool well um, so we're done hard break alright that's a wrap we're out